Hi, my name is Rutendo Nyamuda and welcome to another phenomenal, exciting episode of In My Twenties. In My Twenties. Coming up on today's show of the In My Twenties podcast, our guest speaks all about the human immune system and how it fights off different infections. In addition, we speak about COVID-19, the global pandemic that has shaken the world. And so welcoming herself onto the In My Twenties podcast and into the In My Twenties family, here she is. My name is Martina Stibiorek and I'm Polish, but I live in South Africa at the moment. I'm immunologist with background in infectious diseases and currently I'm doing PhD and I work on how your body defends itself from all the nasty pathogens from the outside. Now on every episode of the In My Twenties podcast, our guests always come through with these incredible mind moments or gem moments. And this is just one of them. What our president did here in South Africa, it was a great idea because we as more vulnerable society, we need to protect people as soon as it's possible. The In My Twenties podcast is split up into three sections. In the first section, we're going to get to hear a little bit more about Martina's career history and life journey. In the second section, we'll dive into today's topic, which is all about immunology insights. And in the final section, we're going to get straight into the heart of this podcast, conversations around Martina's 20s journey and quarter life crisis. Let's get straight into it. So first question, Martina, if you could give us some insight into your background, where are you from and what is your career history background? I am from Poland, but I live currently in South Africa. I was about 21 and I didn't enjoy what I've been living with my life so far. But I've been always feeling this need to do something related to biology and I was fascinated by infectious diseases. And what happened was I uh, ditched my studies that I've been doing at that time. And I started moving to different countries and studying in Netherlands, did some internships in Germany. And then I wanted to go far. And I ended up in South Africa at the University of Cape Town. Mm -hmm. So here I am. I've been offered the, the PhD position at the Institute. And that's where I stayed. So yeah, for past three and a half years I've been trying to get through my PhD research. And yes, currently with all the things that are happening um, nowadays worldwide, I'm kind of more pulled back into this infectious diseases aspect of immunology. Okay, okay. And on that note, I actually just want to dive into today's topic, which is about immunology. So to start off with, like, how does one define immunology? Well, basically, it's a study on how your own body defends itself or reacts to the environment, so the one that it's surrounding us. So basically, we can react in positive way or we can react in negative way. So we get uh, allergies, for instance. We get some type of inflammations. We might not like uh, things that we consume, for instance, gluten sensitivity. So it's a study that tries to understand what is happening within our body. And when it comes to, for instance, infectious diseases, immunologists also look how we protect ourselves or some microorganism can live in symbiosis with us and we equally benefit of it. So like in our guts, we have the whole 
extra world that is enormous and that consists of different microorganisms, including bacteria, and they help us with digestion. And that also has to be orchestrated by our immune system and work together. So immunology itself looks at the inside of our body. Okay. And so a quick question, when it comes to our immune systems after one is born, you basically get vaccinated against certain diseases that you might you know, get further on. How exactly does that process work? And if you have been vaccinated against something once, do you need to be vaccinated again or are you always going to be immune to it? When it comes to vaccination, I know that there is a lot of controversy around it. All this controversy comes pretty much from fear, which I understand not everybody likes to be jabbed and stabbed and getting some chemicals into the body that you don't necessarily understand. Mm. But when it comes to vaccinations, what people need to understand is that the diseases that we as adults face and we don't get sick, babies don't have this memory. So when it comes to your immune system, it's a system that needs training. It's like an army. So when you are born, you are born with blank slates. You only get the protection from your mother through the breastfeeding. Worse, if you're on the formula for whatever reason, then you're not even getting that. Therefore, we have all these vaccination programs to train those soldiers to protect your body in the future. And then there are different types of vaccinations. Either you're injected with inactive virus particles, So that virus will not replicate in your body, but your body will recognize it. So it's going to train that this is the pathogen, this is what I need to fight off. And then the other type of vaccination is the one with mercury. And those are vaccinations that are consisting of small particles, not the whole microbiome. So then when you're getting that into your body, you might need a booster shot because your body will only recognize the small particle but will not know the whole organism. In a couple of years' time, a couple of months' time, it needs revaccination because it needs to retrain itself. Oh, I see, I see. What exactly are you injected with? Depends which vaccination. You are usually injected with a small bit of some kind of infectious agent of the virus or bacteria. It depends which vaccination, right? And because those tend to be different per area or per season, like when it comes to flu, we try as a scientist, we try to predict what is going to happen in eight months' time because factories need to have sufficient amount of time to produce this vaccination. So you're, let's say, predicting that those five types will be there in eight months' time. So you are getting injected with those five subtypes. Next year, it might be different subtypes. That's why in case of flu, you have to repeat the vaccination each year. Mm. So your body gets exposed to the whole range of possibilities. Okay. So a vaccination is not a cure. What is the difference between a vaccination and a cure? A vaccination trains your body how to protect itself. Therefore, when you are contracting the actual disease, you will be ready. Okay. But... It doesn't mean that you might not get sick. You might get sick slightly less than you would with actual disease. When it comes to the cure, it's something that once you are infected and you're sick, the cure will help you to fight this pathogen. It might, for instance, work directly on the pathogen itself. 
I'm going to switch gears into what we're facing globally at the moment, which is the COVID-19 pandemic. What is the difference between a epidemic, because in the beginning it was called an epidemic, and then it became a pandemic. So what is the difference between the two? Epidemic is on a smaller scale. Pan means total, comes from Latin. So once the whole world became infected, the whole world was involved in this. It was pandemic. So that's why you don't have to say global pandemic. It's already global in okay. itself. <laughs> Note to self. Yes. And then another quick definition is COVID-19 versus coronavirus. Can we use them interchangeably? Is it the same thing? So when it comes to viruses, you can think about viruses as fruits. So we live in a country full of grapes and you have different types of grapes from which you can make different types of wine. So if you think about coronaviruses, there are different types of coronaviruses. The one that is causing the biggest problem nowadays is one of the subtypes. Then can one still say, I can still call it coronavirus because it is from the strand of coronavirus, but COVID-19 is the strand. I've been trying to train myself now to stay up to date because all the literature is only emerging now. So scientists came to the conclusion that COVID-19 itself is a disease. Okay. Now, disease can be caused by a virus. The virus itself is SARS-CoV-2 causing COVID-19 disease. What is important when it comes to medical communication, we try to distinguish those things because a couple of years back when you look on SARS, it was also coronavirus. Okay. And if you look on MERS, it was also coronavirus. But now they don't cause the same diseases. They don't come from the same animal and they don't occupy the same region. So mm-hmm. that's why we are trying to keep it you know, clear that there is distinction. Mm. You mentioned both SARS and MARS. For those who don't know, what are the two that you had just mentioned? Again, those coronaviruses causing diseases. Yeah. And a couple of years back, there were two different uh, situations. One was SARS epidemic in China, and that caused severe acute respiratory syndrome, and people were dying from it. But it was uh, contained quickly relatively to the current situation. Mm. And then the other one was MERS, Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. And that was also quickly contained in comparison with the current situation. And those two are, again, when it comes to microorganisms, those microorganisms come from the same group of microorganisms, but because they are genetically different, Mm. they react differently with our own body and therefore causing different type of diseases. Very interesting. So coming back to COVID-19, we'll look at it in the context of other diseases and viruses that the world has faced. So which comes to my first question, there are a number of, even in the last couple of years, some diseases that have spread like measles, we still get measles, Zika, the annual flu virus that pops up. I feel it affected certain regions of the world at certain times. Whereas we have with COVID-19, it spreading on this massive scale. Can you compare it to the other diseases on any level? It's very difficult to compare it because pathogens that cause them are different things. Okay. So it can be a virus. It can be a parasite. That's one distinction. Now, when it comes to those different diseases... It either is transmitted by a vector. So what we mean by vector is the mosquito, for instance. 
like in case of Zika virus, or it's uh, transmitted through animals, like in case of MERS, those were dromedary camels, or it's transmitted humans to humans, like in case of COVID-19 disease. So what happens is, when we have mosquitoes, for instance, mosquitoes is a big umbrella term, again, for different types of organisms that are flying and biting us, and they feed on the land. In terms of South Africa, we have Kruger National Park up north, where you can get malaria. But in Cape Town, the odds of you getting malaria are very low, close to none, basically. Those mosquitoes are not occupying that area. So now uh, the same goes for the diseases you mentioned, like Zika virus, which was more South American region. And in Europe, you would not get it because those mosquitoes are not living in Europe. So now when we look on MERS, which was dromedary camels, which was Middle Eastern residing animals, and once there was a close contact with that animal, then people would get uh, infected. So, yes, there is uh, quite a big variety. And this is amazingly interesting world of infectious diseases. Mm. Now, when we have avian uh, influenza, we had an epidemic of that. That was spread through wild birds. And those wild birds migrate. They will migrate from Asia to Europe. And they would infect local animals, local chickens. So if you know which animal it comes from, it's slightly easier to navigate around protection and preparedness for the disease. So you know if you go to Kruger, you need to take malaria pills. You know if you go to uh, Southern America, you might encounter Zika. Mm. But when it comes to disease like COVID-19, now it's spread between humans. I read something very interesting about the incubation period that COVID-19 stays in your body for. So with the normal annual flu virus, where you might show symptoms a day, you know, or two days after you catch the cold, with COVID-19, it's 14 days, up to 14 days. And so in all of these cases where you do find people walking around or interacting or engaging with people, you're carrying it around you're not showing the symptoms, but you could definitely pass it on in various ways. Talking about that incubation period, do we naturally have diseases in us right now that are just being incubated for long periods of time or just are inactive? There are different types of diseases. You might be a carrier and not know about certain things. That comes to STDs. Not all STDs will show on your body immediately. One of the STDs will be HIV, which will give you eventually AIDS. HIV can persist in your body and be dormant for some time and suddenly it will attack and trigger all the problems which will lead to AIDS. When it comes to, I believe, chlamydia doesn't show symptoms in males. Okay. Diseases you've spoken about, is this an educational? I mean, it is the case and we are in 20s and let's face it, we need to remember about that. That's very interesting to know. Coming back to like this whole vaccination and vaccine stuff, I would love for you to talk us through how one goes through finding a vaccination. I've heard things like 18 months. I mean, we've heard a lot. How are the scientists in the world? What is going through their mind? What is going through the mind is you have to know how a virus will interact with your body to enter your cell. So virus itself is unable to replicate and create more of the viral particles. It needs you. They need to attach to your body, attach to your cell. When we figure out how the virus attaches, what kind of mechanism it's going to be using, 
Mm. That's the point where we can pinpoint, okay, this is what we have to target. Okay. So let's say we would try to find the cure. So we would try to block the receptor for which the virus is binding to your cell. So the virus can't attach to your cell anymore. But when it comes to vaccination, if you think about the virus as a ball and mm. it has those spikes, right? Mm. We want to find the spike that it's present on each and one of viral particles. Okay. This particular spike will be recognized by your own body, by yourself, and therefore we can create a vaccination against that spike. Okay. So once this virus enters your body, your body will recognize the spike and will attack the viral particle. Okay. At what point do you take it from, we think this is working, to now let's inject it in a human? There are a lot of red tapes for purpose of safety, of course. I know that now with the whole outbreak, people are trying to speed up the process just to be on top of the things because people are so scared of what is happening. So they are lifting a bit of those uh, red flags. It doesn't mean that the vaccination that will be created will not be safe. So don't get me wrong. The first point is always the safety of humans. Obviously, there are first tests on cell cultures, but then there are tests on small animals Mm. bigger animals we are going to primates which basically are the closest related to humans Mm. and once that's fine then you're having the clinical trials and first they are testing the safety before they would even merge it together with the virus okay that's why it takes so much time is plus minus maybe plus 18 months is that a reasonable time period Unfortunately for vaccination, but at the moment what people are trying to do is testing different drugs that seem to be efficient because those drugs were already approved. All those safety measures were already taken just for different disease. So we are going to try to see if it's going to work because if it's going to work, that's terrific because we have the production line, we have the drug, all the safety measures were already taken. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of adjusting the dose and going with it. Coming back to the kind of the context of being in South Africa. One of the positive things is how a lot of the leaders responded. In comparison to some other countries overseas, we were quite quick to shut the borders. We were quite quick to stop the flights. My question is, do you think that is something that will benefit us in the long run? At the moment, there are a lot of speculation. We have quite a huge discrepancy between different groups of society. Mm. And as we spoke before, the HIV and TB prevalence in South Africa, for instance, is a massive problem Mm. because once diseases will overlap, we don't know what we are going to face when it comes to healthcare system. Personally, I think that what our president did here in South Africa, our president has been here for long enough, I think it was a great idea Yeah, because we as more vulnerable society, we need to protect people as soon as it's possible. Yeah. The crashing of healthcare system that was much richer than South African healthcare system was already visible. So learning from their problems, we need to implement better strategies definitely the lockdown is easier when you are living in a household where it's just you and someone else or you and your family and your garden and that's great but the realities of south africa is the inequality is the amount of people who live in townships and rural areas there are a number of socioeconomic factors that we need to take into consideration when someone when we do say we're on a lockdown 
I understand the reason for the lockdown, but I'm also like, is it healthy or is it fine to actually force someone who lives in a room with 10 other people to say you can't go outside? Yeah, I totally understand your point and where you're coming from. It's one thing to stay in a house with 10 other people. The other thing is to stay in a house when you are with your oppressive, let's say, partner. Mm. At the end of the day, it's almost close to impossible in places like townships or rural areas. It's not feasible. But there are so many people in uh, suburbs who can stay on a lockdown. And they definitely should. We as people who can afford being home lockdown, let's take advantage of that and just stay home and protect others and slow down the, the infection rate mm. and to get this, through this disease that would be much better for slowing down the spread. Mm. Okay. And then I've got one last question on this section before we jump into your 20s journey. I was in Joburg literally just before President Cyril Ramaphosa's first speech where he spoke about locking down borders lessening travel and I had flown from Joburg to Cape Town back where I was staying and I got home and I don't know if it was something that was in my mind but I started feeling all of the symptoms that are associated with COVID-19 because of how close it is to the cold even from the stories I've heard of people who have caught COVID in the beginning is it does seem like a cold at what point do you say to yourself actually this is not just this is not in my mind. Yes, that's that's what people say, that it does seem like a cold for people who are initially healthy, so they don't have other comorbidities. And by comorbidities, which is a big word, I'll say like asthma or higher blood pressure, this sort of things. If you don't have that, anything undergoing, then it seems like a cold. So basically, yeah. for sake of protecting yourself and your family members, just stay home and stay home for those working days. Lock mm. yourself down. Yeah. Obviously, if your symptoms get worse, you have tightening of your chest and you're struggling with breathing, call the emergency services. Say okay. that those are your symptoms. Okay. okay, okay. Fantastic. Good to know. There are obviously a number of ways that we have been notified about being protected, being health conscious, being safe, washing our hands. Is there any value-added precautionary measure that you would want to share with people? The precautionary measure that is at the moment recommended is basically washing your hands for 20 seconds, sticking to alcohol-based hand sanitizers, and by alcohol-based, it's minimum 65%. There is this whole discussion about uh, wearing gloves. On one hand, it would be good because we see it in the hospitals. On the other hand, if people don't wear it properly, because I've seen photos of people still eating, you know, uh, snacks, using their gloves and touching their face, using their gloves, it doesn't make sense. Mm. Because you're basically doing the same with what you would be doing, just with gloves on. So you just spread the virus further and infect yourself. And the same goes with masks. Wearing a mask makes sense only if you are doing it correctly. Because I go to the supermarket and I see a lady who has a mask underneath her nose, so it doesn't protect her or anyone else. Okay, okay. And I highly doubt that the same lady would go home and wash this mask with hot water and sanitize it properly. And the other problem is that because in hospitals there is lack of supplies, because people tend to buy the general population who normally would not buy it, they are now buying it and hoarding it. 
Mm. And people who actually are on the front line and know how to use it, know how to protect it, they don't have their own protection. Yeah. So that's the problematic thing. Okay. And then quick question, have you checked out the Department of Health's WhatsApp community? Yes, I did see it, yes. But I think that's been so great in terms of, you know, reaction from the government to say, like, everyone has a cell phone. This is information that you can get about symptoms, about who to call, about where to go. Um, But that's been great. That's definitely a great platform. And the other up-to-date platform is NICD website where you can see all the stats and it's uh, divided per province so that's also something that is important so you know in your local community how many cases there are at the moment as well. Martina, how would you summarize your 20s journey thus far? Well, it was quite a ride, I must say. (laughs) I left home knowing what I want to do and then I got very confused with my life. And uh, yes, I'm at the point where I still want to figure out what exactly I want to do. And I don't think anyone has it properly figured out. They just improvise. We're just improvising. I like that. And then have you ever, or did you ever go through the quarter life crisis in your 20s? Yes, I did. I did go through that crisis. What happened in my case was that I wanted to be that scientist in the front line. And it's so funny to say it now with the whole outbreak because I, I wanted to be the scientist who will be there in the front line and doing all the tests and being all the badass as you can be. And what happened to me was that um, I got a repetitive strain injury from lab work okay. uh, during my PhD in both of my hands. What does that look like, a repetitive strain injury? It's a bit of a taboo what I noticed among scientists. A lot of us have some kind of problems with their hands. Either you get ganglions from doing the same thing over and again and those are like small bros. They are not threatening your life, they just can press on your nerve and then this whole hand will hurt you. You can get carbon tunnel. It happens in a lot of professions. It happens for makeup artists or hairdressers, a lot of people who work with hands. So in science, what is important is your thumb. Thumb should be like a separate insurance policy on your thumb. (laughs) Because without thumbs, it's very hard to work in the lab. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people have problems with their thumbs. And when I start talking to people, a lot of people struggle with that, with their hands in some way, one or the other. And once that happens, you start questioning yourself and your choices, basically. Mm. That what happened to me, and I've been told by my doctor to to stop doing what hurts me, and that was science, and that was just like a massive train smash for me. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't know what to do. I basically went through all stages of grief and depression. Now I'm figuring out how to use my my knowledge to actually do something about science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just can't be in the lab. Yeah, it's very interesting, and. Also, you recently wrote an article about the five stages of grief within a pandemic. What are the five stages, particularly in a pandemic? What happened to me when I noticed uh, what is happening worldwide is that I struggled with the same stages as when someone dies in your life and you go through stages of grief. 
So you get through denial and anger. So initially it was like, no, this is, it's disease out there. It doesn't bother me. I'll read the scientific literature, but it's not something that I should be concerned about. Then you're getting upset and angry because, it, no, it actually refers to you because it influences all your plans. And it might be a bit selfish because obviously you think about yourself at the moment. So if you tend to normally focus on everybody around you, then oh, I need to cancel my own plans. I should be fine with it, but I'm not. You get angry. There's a lot of confusing emotions at, at that stage. And what is happening also is a lot of people go to you as an expert because you studied it, you, you know what is happening or you should know. But it's quite difficult to catch up with all the literature that is appearing out there. Even with my family, when I was trying to calm some members of the family down, they were arguing with me that it's a very difficult situation. So yes, the anger was there, definitely. Yeah. And then you're slowly getting through depression after canceling all your plans, all your international conferences, and you have to take your work home, terminate all your experiments you've been doing. So like I'm on the last year of PhD and I don't have that time. I don't have extension anymore. I don't have visa anymore. You're facing all those difficulties and you have zero clarity on what's going to happen. And again, I refer to my personal point of view. I believe that anyone had the same problem and is going through similar stages of grief in a way. And now I have acceptance. So those are the stages, at least those are the stages that I described and everybody's still going through. I think it's okay to talk about it. And I think it's okay to talk about the emotions we are going through. Mm. In this stage that we are with the pandemics and the social isolation, there will be a lot of mental health problems coming up. And one of the problems with depression is lack of talking about it, lack of talking about the emotions that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And that leads to further, you know, burying yourself in this uh, grief, basically. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And I think it's so important. I think... I've found through conversations with people, there are kind of two sides of the coin right now. On the one hand, you have people who are like, this is a period of rest and relax and, you know, find yourself, find your center. And on the other hand, you have people who are like, this is the time where I need to upskill and I need to do things. And because we're all in such a sensitive period, when those two kinds of people meet and have a conversation, it's quite explosive because they're like, why aren't you upskilling? And then it's like, uh, why aren't you resting? But knowing that it's okay, that no matter what you're feeling, it's okay to feel that way. I think that's what people need to know and you need to handle it the way that's best for you, not what's best for society or others or your siblings or your parents or your friends. Totally. And at the same time, you know, like for me, the problem was that I'm not from here. So my family was calling me with all the panic in the world. And that's one of the the scares that you have. Then uh, you might have a family member who is on the front line and you're going to be scared about them because the whole situation is impacting you and them at the same time. So you try to calm yourself down through, let's say, scientific literature. But on the other hand, you know that they are out there and they are in danger. So it's very difficult. And if you're trying to be this kind of beacon of calmness for your family, but you're freaking out at the back of your head, it's quite difficult. And you need to tell yourself it's okay to be with all those emotions. Yeah, it's okay to not be okay. Key. Yes. 
What advice would you have for people right now? I guess advice in general. I mean, sometimes we, we lock it down to advice to people in their 20s, but I feel like these upcoming conversations are so beneficial for a wider audience, like people who just want to be informed and listen to different perspectives on what people are going through. So what advice do you have or would you want to leave? I tend to overwhelm myself and I tend to, to wake up and think, as you're saying, I'll take this 21 days and progress my life and educate myself. Take one day at a time. Make a plan, but it's okay not to stick to that plan. Do your 100%, but forgive yourself if you're not going to make it that day. And try to accept the current situation and don't put too much pressure on yourself because we are already on, under so much pressure and everybody has their own opinions. So just take it one day at a time. Read the information that is out there about the spread. Read the recommendations from your local authorities, stick to them. But also take it easy on yourself. As you said, it's okay not to be okay. So it's okay to take a Saturday on Monday and binge watch some series and then make a Monday on Tuesday. We are in that situation when it is okay. <laughs> okay, okay. I like that, I like that. I'm gonna be taking a couple of Saturdays. I think I'm gonna plan my day Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, Saturday. Wednesdays. Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, you never had that opportunity and now you do. Now I do. And yeah, but but also remember that if you are going to constantly not do anything, you might get into a very depressive stage of, oh, I wasted seven days straight. So, yeah, try to at least, you know, do something for yourself and take care of yourself, whether it's moving, whether it's yoga. Don't stay in pyjama the whole day and do completely nothing because that is also bad for your mental state. <laughs> Note to self. I'll get out. I'm out of my pyjamas. I'm fine. Well, top half anyway. At least um, the upper part, right? <laughs> Thank you so much to our guest for sharing some incredible insights on today's show. And thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of the In My Twenties podcast. Please do not forget to like, share and subscribe to the podcast and leave us a comment and let us know what you enjoyed most about today's episode. The In My Twenties podcast is a production of Teensway Media. For more information on the In My Twenties podcast and other productions by Teensway Media, visit us at www.teenswaymedia.com.